From the very beginning, God has often shared his governance of creation with others. When God created humanity, his very first commands to us were these. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, of course, God did not assign all governance of creation to us, thanks be to God, but he did assign us some. And throughout the history recorded in Christian scripture, God continued to call upon humans to share with him in the governance, in the care, and in the shepherding of creation. And this sharing of God with us sometimes came in the form of callings, sometimes in the form of covenants, sometimes in the form of commands, sometimes in the form of guidance, and sometimes in the form of warnings. But in all these cases, God was sharing responsibility for the world with those he had chosen. And it's for this reason that the last sentence of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, which we read during our Advent reading, and we've been considering this passage throughout this series through Advent, That last sentence should stand out to us. I'm going to read the full passage again with which we've been concerned in this Advent series. It reads as follows. This is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nation. You will increase their joy. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest, as people rejoice when they divide the spoils. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the marching warrior and the roar of battle and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning. Fuel for the fire, saying war will be ended, right? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies. This is the sentence. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Who would accomplish this? Would God choose a human leader as he has done so many times throughout history? No. Would God elect a nation of the earth to accomplish the increase of this government's leadership and peace? No. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. When it comes to the rulership of the kingdom of God, when it comes to the redemption of the people of God, when it comes to the salvation of humanity from the twin tyrannical powers of sin and death, God will do this alone. Now, of course, that's not an unprecedented decision for God. He has acted alone many times throughout history. No one assisted God in creation. No one assisted God in the destruction of land-based life in the Great Flood. And perhaps more on point to Isaiah's context, 
No one assisted God when he delivered the Israelites from slavery to the ancient nation of Egypt. In preparation for the events by which Israel would be delivered, the Lord said the following to Moses, and if you remember our conversation about Passover and communion some months ago when we first started together, you remember that this is the passage that the four cups of wine and the Passover Seder come from. You also remember that the third cup is the one that we celebrate when we celebrate communion. It was called the cup of redemption. It's the third verb in this passage. This is Ezekiel, I mean, this is Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, and I want you to notice the personal pronouns. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage. This is the third cup. This one, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians." So these and so many other events indicate clearly that the Lord does not need any assistance to bring about his will on the earth. We witnessed this truth too in our series through 1 Samuel as we explored the conquest of of five of the Philistine cities by the Ark of the Covenant all by itself, by the Ark that contained the Word of God, conquered the cities by itself. God does not require assistance to accomplish his will. He does not need us. And yet, God has so often invited humans to participate in his efforts that moments in which God declares his intent to act independently, those stand out as worthy of special consideration. And this is certainly the case with Isaiah's prophecy. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. God himself would produce this child and establish this kingdom. Now we now know what Isaiah may not have realized, that God himself would incarnate himself into the womb of Mary by the power of God himself. And this child, the word of God made flesh, is Jesus, the one being in all creation who is fully God, and fully human. Truly, the zeal of the Lord of armies has accomplished this. Now, Ezekiel lived over a century after the scriptural account of Isaiah's life. And yet, Ezekiel seems to have picked up right where Isaiah left off. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Will accomplish what? Well, Ezekiel just picks it up. This is our passage from this morning. For the Lord God says this, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd cares for his flock on a day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing place will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in a good grazing place and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will feed my flock and I myself will lead them to to rest." declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will eliminate. I will feed them with 
judgment. Who? I mean, do we even have to ask him, who are you talking about, Lord? Who's going to do all that? Salvation and judgment belong to the Lord alone. Now, Isaiah may not have realized what God had intended all those centuries ago when he spoke the prophecy preserved in Isaiah chapter 9. And Ezekiel may not have realized what God, that God would fully incarnate himself in human flesh in order to fulfill the promise that he gave Ezekiel to proclaim in Ezekiel chapter 34. Even so, the incarnation of the Son in the womb of Mary and the giving of himself for us fulfills both of these prophecies in remarkable ways. When God walked amongst us in the flesh of Jesus, he told a story that brings together the prophecies of Isaiah and the prophecies of Ezekiel. It's been preserved for us in Luke chapter 15. This is verses 1 through 7. Now all the, this is Jesus uh, teaching. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the problem. And so he, Jesus, told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need of repentance. God became flesh in the person of Jesus to seek after lost sheep. And the Gospels tell us what God has been calling. I once saw this documentary where a shepherd, I think he was in the Welsh Highlands, watched over sheep. And they would just let the sheep, he just let the sheep go and graze. They were all over the place. There was no pen, no enclosure. They were just everywhere. And when it was time to bring them in, he would just go out and call to them. And the sheep would come from everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. It doesn't sound, I don't, maybe some of you are shepherds, you know whether we do this in America. But it was amazing. They just came from all corners listening to the shepherd's voice. The Gospels actually tell us what God in the person of Jesus went out into the fields calling. What he cried out. What words he said that his sheep would know were his voice. We find out what he was calling into the fields and into the forest, into the mountains and into the meadows, into the oceans and unto the islands. Jesus' call has been preserved for us. We know exactly his words, then they echo still. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn around. You've wandered from the shepherd's flock. Come back. Come back. He cries it. Can you hear him calling? As Jesus explained in John chapter 10, verses 11 to 16, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he's a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. 
Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. We must not continue in rebellion against God. We must not continue to listen to the voices that call us to forsake the Lord and his teachings. It was for this reason that Jesus took on human flesh. It was for this reason he lived amongst us, to call us out of the darkness. All the other voices that would lead us away from God are voices of hired hands, thieves and false shepherds, all wolves, sometimes even in sheep's clothing. But God's sheep know his voice. It's the word which echoes through the scriptures and became flesh in the person of Jesus. The hour is late. We know this. The hour is late. But still, there is time to return. The call of Jesus is still going out. And during the season of Advent, each of us must ask the question, have we listened? Let's be sure that we have. Amen.